if you're able to remain standing, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through the end of the chapter. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. This is the word of our Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it you show your great love for us. Open our eyes to see great things concerning you in this passage today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. For centuries, North Africa was a hotbed of Christianity. Many of the great pastors, theologians of the time, these were the first five centuries of the Christian era, came from North Africa, man like Athanasius, Cyprian, Augustine, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, just to name a few. Tertullian, this last one, recorded what pagans were saying about the Christians in North Africa. And this is what he recorded concerning what pagans, those that were against Christianity, were saying concerning the church and the Christians in North Africa. Look, look how they love one another and how they are ready to die for each other. That was a testimony of the world concerning the church in the third century of our era in North Africa. I wonder if the testimony of pagans today would be the same. I wonder what the world says concerning the love 
that we have for one another. I wonder if when the world looks at Christianity today, it is shocked by how loving Christians are toward one another. I wonder if that's the impression that the world has of us. I wonder if when pagans look at our church, they see first and foremost a community in which every member is quick to love one another. I wonder if that's the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's the shocking reality that the world sees in the church of Jesus Christ. Now you may hear what I'm saying and your mind may directly go to, we need to stand up for the truth and we need to call out all the bad stuff that's going on in the church. We need to condemn those that need to be condemned. We need to stand for the truth and I agree with that. If you listen to last Sunday's sermon, you're going to see that I agree with that. But brothers and sisters, all that we do, and especially how we relate to others in the church of Jesus Christ, must be soaked in love. The specific love that God has, the kind of love that God has for His people. John, as we read these these verses here in chapter 4, continues in his effort of saying that assurance of salvation comes through believing in the right Jesus, obeying the commandments of God, and loving each other. Remember, that's the question that the epistle is answering. How do I know that I truly know Jesus? And he says, what is it that you believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you obeying the word of God? And do you love the brethren? That's the, those are the three tests that he gives us here. And he repeats himself over and over and over throughout this uh, little epistle. It's difficult to outline it because it, John keeps on coming back to the same themes throughout. Why do you think he does that? Why do you think he keeps on repeating himself? Why do you think he keeps on hitting these three keys? Believe in the right Jesus, obey the word of God, love the brethren. I think the most obvious answer is that we need to hear these things over and over and over again because we forget them. In this section of the letter before us today, John shows how God's love for us compels us to love each other because of Jesus. And what God compels us to do, He also commands us to do. What He pushes us to do, what He strengthens us to do, what He equips us to do, He also commands us to do, so that at the end, what we do is all by His grace. God's love for us is the source, is the motivation, it is the pattern of our love for one another. And this morning in our pastor, I'd like to see us three things. I would like to see God's love described. I would like to see God's love applied to His people. And I would like to see God's love obeyed by His people. So God's love described to His people. God's love obeyed by His people. God loved God's love applied to His people. And I'll say right off the bat, the first part is the longest one. The first point is the longest, the second point is the the shorter, and then the third point is that if you blink, you miss. All right? Well, it has to be a very long blink, but you get the idea uh, there. So let's look at God's love described to God's people. Verses 7 through 10 of this passage are likely a hymn of love. 
like 1 Corinthians 13. This, these verses were probably sung in the church. Uh, John is not necessarily saying something new to the church. He's reminding them of something that they sang in his, their worship service to the point that some translations uh, indented or formatted as, um, uh, as poetry language with indentation on both sides. And John tells us that God is love in himself. Look at verse 8. He says, he who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. He repeats himself in verse 16 where he says, And we have known and believed the, the love that God has for us. God is love. God is love in himself. And to say that God is loving himself is to say that love is an essential attribute of God. That is, God is eternally love. We cannot describe God without including love in that description. It's impossible to describe the love of the, the God of the Bible without talking about love. And as with all the other attributes of God, God is loving all the time. That's called the simplicity of God. God is everything all the time in all places. God is not present over here in His holiness, and then present over there in His mercy, and present over there in His love, and then present over there in His justice, and then present over there in His wrath. He's, he's everything, everywhere, all the time. That, that's the God we serve. So He is lovingly just, He is lovingly merciful, He is lovingly holy, etc., and, and love is an attribute or a quality of God that he communicates with his people. Now, in theology, to communicate an attribute does not mean to let people know about it. That, that we use the word communication in that way, to communicate, I'm letting you know about something. It, it, in theology, to communicate an attribute means to share it with others. So love is a communicable attribute of God, that is, those who are created in His image will also be, be capable of love and be loved. Those that are created in the image of God will be capable to love and to be loved. And that God, in this passage, then grabs that and says, okay, this is my love for you. Go out and do the same to people around you. Now, it's not true that every attribute, that every quality of God is shared with his, uh, those made after His image. There are some attributes that are non-communicable, that is absolute to God. Eternality, infinity, unchangeableness, immensity. These are all those that only belong to God and to God alone. But love is one that He shares with us. That because we're creating His image, we're capable to love. And we're capable to be loved as well. And though, the, though it is 100% biblical to say that God is love, well, the very verses we read here, verses 8 and 16, say that, it's not biblical to say that love is God. And it might be obvious to you, but bear saying, because some people have said that. If the Bible says that God is love, then it's proper to say that love is God. Some have said that explicitly or in practice. Uh, and, and the problem is when you do that, the love that you end up with is not the love described in the Bible. If you say the love is God, what you, when you, what you end up saying is that that love is an affirmation of whatever the human heart wants. And it's idolatrous. You may have heard of a man by the name of a pastor, by the name of Rob Bell. 
uh, wrote a, a, a book, I think the title is Love Wins. You know, signs, sounds like a good title and everything. But it's false. It, it's a teaching that will lead you to hell. It's a lie when he says that love becomes God. And love, as we make it, becomes the deciding factor for everything. And, and I'm not saying that just because I don't like Rob Bell. It's because the text itself says that you cannot say that love is God. You can say that God is love. Grammatically, it is impossible to switch those two places. The way that John wrote this, he wrote specifically to keep anybody from switching those two. God is love, but love is never God. And not only that, the expression God is, is used three other times in the Bible. In John 4, verse 25, God is spirit. In our very letter here in chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. And in Hebrews 12, 29, God is consuming fire. I've never seen anybody writing a book, consuming fire wins at the end. Or consuming fire is God. We try to pick up the little things we like and leave behind the things that we don't like about God. As important as love is, love is not sufficient to describe all of God according to the scriptures. Our God is love, but he's a, he's a bunch of other things as well in addition to being God and being, being love. And the beauty of this love is that God, who is eternally love, manifested his love in history in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if Jesus had never come, we would never know that God was loving? That even though that's true of him, independent from anything, he chose to condescend himself to our level. As John Calvin says, he babbled, he, he spoke baby talk to us in the Bible. So that we could understand that he loves us. See that in verses 9 through 11. And especially notice that John doesn't describe love primarily by how we relate to God. Love is primarily described as God's action towards his elect. Look at verse 10. He says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. In creation and providence declares that, but the ultimate declaration of God's love is the incarnation and the cross of Jesus Christ. God sent his unique son with a message and a purpose. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He sent, and this particular word for sent is means sent with a message. God sent his son with a message and a mission and a purpose so that he would give us the gospel, die for us, and let us know what the love of God is for us. And the purpose of the son's coming was to show God's love for his elect in the cross. Can you imagine that? The cross, the gruesome, the ugly, the painful, the lonely cross is the greatest declaration of love in human existence. It's God's declaration of love for His church. And you say, but but Tito, nowhere here in this passage we find the word cross. Well, the word cross is in the word propitiation in verse 10. 
F.F. Uh, Bruce says that propitiation is something which God has provided in his grace to bring men into his presence with assurance that they are accepted in him since he has removed the barrier that kept them at a distance. And this is propitiation is not something that man does to placate or to appease God. God is doing that. God, we are separated from God, and God, in order to demonstrate his love for us, brought us back together to him through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 3.25, Paul says, Whom, that is Christ, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. We appropriate that through faith in Jesus Christ. Reconciliation between men and God, the, the understanding of God's, law, God's love happens as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that this word propitiation here in verse 10 is, is related to the word for the mercy seat. Remember, in the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, they had this box, probably this big, with the cherubim on the side, and there was a, a gold-plated seat in which once a year the high priest would pour the blood on top and that will signify the atonement, the, the appeasing, the expiation, the forgiveness, the covering of the sins of the people because the law of God was inside of the mercy seat and the law of God was accusing the people of sin. The blood of the animal would cover that as a sign of the one who was to come. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He is that mercy seat. But he's more than the mercy seat. He's also the blood that has been poured upon that is silencing the accusations of the law of God against the believer in Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins? That's one of the most important questions you can answer. Because you need to answer that correctly in order to understand the love of God. So propitiation means that Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross as the perfect sin offering in the place of those that the Father had given to him. And that's why John the Baptist could say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting that John says sin, not sins. It's the sin, the collective sin of all kinds of people. The Lamb of God takes. Propitiation means that Jesus Christ, by shedding his own blood, became the only acceptable offering for sin. And propitiation means that the act of dying on the cross satisfied God's justice once for all. And in the cross, the elect of God is reconciled to him. It is on the cross that Jesus Christ brings man and God together. And that's why he's the only mediator between us and God. In the book of Hebrews, <laughs> the twins commiserate, right? In the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit says this. He says, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not by, made with the hands that is not of this, this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us a word of reconciliation, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what propitiation is. Christ bringing us together with God so that we can understand the love of God for his elect. And God initiated all of that. And we respond to it. In verse 19, John says, we love, and Archer there says we love him, but that him should not be there. We love, simply, we love because he's first loved us. We're able to love at all because God initiated that. He first loved us. And that's what John says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. That's how he loved. He, he initiated, he gave so that, that those that were condemned, those that were perishing, if they had faith in Jesus Christ, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And if the Spirit of God is tugging in your heart right now, and you, He's bringing him to you, to, you to Him, He's as, opening your eyes to see the love of God in Jesus Christ, don't resist that. Embrace that. Come to faith in Jesus Christ, so that you may have life. And it's not just life, as Jesus says in John 10, it's life more abundant. We sang in Sunday school this morning, Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. One day, He's coming. Oh, glorious day. All because Christ initiated, God initiated that love toward us. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have this eternally loving God, God who is eternally love, demonstrating in history that love for us in the cross of Jesus Christ, and God continues to love in and through us. And that's going to be the scary part of the sermon. That the greatest love, the greatest way that the love of God is demonstrated in this world right now, the way that God continues to show His love, is by our love for one another. Look at what John says in verses 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. As flawed as it is, God continues to display His love for the world to see through our love for one another. God is eternally love. God in history demonstrated His love for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And now He continues to show His love to the world by the way that you and I relate to one another. That's what John means when he says that no one has seen God. No one has seen God, but they can see you. And they can see the way you love each other. And as they see your love for one another, they will see the love of God. And that's goes what, the, what Jesus said in John 13, when Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Can you imagine that? That our relationship in the church of Jesus Christ is the declaration of the love of God to the world. Now, you can see that our loving each other is not just something nice. It's not just something beneficial. Our love one another is a true portrayal of the character of God. And when we don't, that is at stake. 
The world's understanding of God lies in connection with the way we, as believers in Jesus Christ, relate to another. The point that F.F. Bruce, one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the 20th century, says this, the love of God displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic that God has in the world. The strongest evidence, according to F.F. Bruce, of the existence of God, it doesn't mean that people believe in him, doesn't mean that people come to their knees, but the strongest evidence of the existence of God is our relationship to one another. So what are we saying when we're not loving one another? We're saying God doesn't exist. Christ didn't die. And there's no eternally eternally loving God. So John describes what the love of God is. Then he shows how that love is applied to God's people. We see that in verses 13 through 21. And that's where the love test meets the faith test. Now, often people uh, pit love and doctrine as if they were enemies. But perfect love and sound doctrine always go hand in hand. We never have to choose between love or sound, sound doctrine, at least not biblical love. Every time you think you are in a situation in which you have to choose between love or sound doctrine, you are in a false dilemma. That dilemma doesn't exist. You're never going to be placed in a situation where you have to choose between biblical love or biblical faith. Never. Ever, ever. So keep that in mind, that perfect love is consistent with the faith that was once delivered to the saints in the Scriptures. And as the, the, the love of God is applied to us, the Spirit of God is the guarantee that God loves us. In verse 13, the apostle says, By this we know that we are abiding Him, and He in, in, him, and he in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. So how do we know that what John is saying about love of, the love of God is true? The Spirit of God Himself attests to that in our hearts. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that the, 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 the Spirit in us is the down payment, the guarantees, the, the assurance that everything that God says concerning the gospel and concerning our salvation is true. And that's why an unbeliever cannot know and respond to the love of God, because they don't have the Spirit of God. That's why an unbeliever can never initiate his relationship, her relationship with God, because they don't have the Spirit of God. Unless God first changes their hearts, gives them the Spirit, enables them to love, they will never come to Jesus Christ. I think uh, a famous evangelist that will remain nameless um, wrote a book called What Must I Do to Be Born Again? The answer is nothing. It would be a blank book. You do nothing. God is the one that gives you the, the new birth. The same way that your child didn't decide to birth himself or herself, to conceive himself or herself, you don't get to decide your new birth in Christ. God works in you and gives you His Spirit. And then you're able to believe in Him. And the love of God causes us, when it's applied to us, causes us to witness and confess of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and 15 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. John uses the word we here 
differently than he did in the previous passage. There, we, he was the apostles. Here, we is every believer. And as we know the love of God revealed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ, we will witness for Christ. Now, to witness is to testify to the truth of something. So here is to testify that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. And we, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're testifying to that truth. That's what you do in response to the love of God for you. You testify that Christ is the Savior of the world. The love of God compels us to declare to the world who Christ is and what He has done. To testify that Jesus is the Savior of the world is to testify that there's no other Savior so as to say, the world, don't be satisfied with anything that promises you deliverance from whatever. There's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. If a Jew is going to be saved, he's going to be saved through Jesus Christ. If an African American is going to be saved, he's going to be saved through Jesus Christ. If an Arab or a Muslim will be saved, it will be through Jesus Christ. If a white person is going to be saved, it's going to be through Jesus Christ. If an Asian, an African, a South American, you get the picture. If anyone in the world is going to be saved, it's going to be through Jesus Christ because He's the only Savior of the world. There's no other Savior available out there. It doesn't mean that He's going to save every last soul whoever existed. It means that there's no other option to the world than Jesus Christ. And the, the Apostle tells us here that true love can only be experienced and can only be ex- exercised by those who know the love of God. In verse 7, he says, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. In verse 16, he says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. In verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. One who has known the love of God through Jesus Christ cannot but love God's people. It's not something that we develop. It's something that we are from the moment of our salvation. That's why it's a test as whether you know that you know God, Christ. Do you love God's people? We simply love because He loved us. It's interesting that when asked what the most important command in Scripture, Jesus could have simply said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Everything else will be implied in that. He didn't have to say anything else. But he added to that and another commandment that is as important as the first because it flows from it. He said, not only that, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all all the law and the prophets. If you want to summarize the Bible, two things. Love God with every ounce of your being and love others. That's a summary of the whole Bible. Here's Cliff's note. Do you want to read the Bible through in a year? That's it. You're done. That's what the entire Bible is speaking about those two things. And then he added a new component to how Christians would love. And he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. As I have loved you, dying for one another. As I have loved you, giving of ourselves to one another, as I have loved you, humbling ourselves for one another, as I have loved you, pouring ourselves into and for one another. It is the love of God for us in Jesus Christ that covers our sins. And that marks our relationships 
We have seen this application earlier when we consider what propitiation is. But Peter says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Not by tolerating sin, not by condoning sin, but through repentance and the blood of Jesus Christ, love covers a multitude of sin. And then as we think about God's love applied, we see that being loved by God leaves us no option but to love each other. In verse 11, the apostle says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we love one another, love the love of God is perfected. And perfected means it is completed, brought to its designed end. The love of God doesn't stop with His saving us. The love of God is to continue and show itself in our love for others. And as a result of, of that, there is no fear. There is no fear in, of judgment. In verses 17 and 18, the apostle says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because, he is, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perf- perfect in love. As the love of God is applied to us, we don't fear judgment. the judgment. When we know the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, we are not scared of the final judgment, because there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So instead of fearing the coming of the Lord in judgment, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we don't fear that, because love has conquered that fear. So the love of God is described, the love of God is applied, and that love is meant to be obeyed. And obedience to the love of God means that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might have life. And then we love one another, as it says in verse 7. We love one another by dying for one another. We love one another by giving of ourselves to one another. We love one another by serving one another, by humbling ourselves, by pouring ourselves into each other's lives. And ultimately, true confession equals love for the brethren. Verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Is that clear enough? Don't. It doesn't matter if you say, I love God, and yet you have no love for anybody else around you especially the people in the church. You're a liar. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with God, because this is the one saying here in verse 20. So do you love God? Have you come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ? If that's true of you, then all you can do is love one another. That's what God has designed you for, so that His love be perfected in us. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are God who loves and you made that abundantly clear in the cross of Jesus Christ. Enable us to live out that love that you had for us on the cross as we love each other for us in Jesus' name. Amen.